Today's sermon passage is from Matthew 23, 16 through 22. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You guys may be seated. As you take your seats, let's pray together. Our Father and our God, this morning we come before you in the name of Jesus, the Lord. Your Son, the Savior, the one through whom your blessings, your salvation, your power, your work move. And Lord, this morning we are so humbled and so thankful that because of Jesus, we're forgiven. Because of Jesus, we're loved. Because of Jesus, we're called the children of God. Because of Jesus, we're given the promise that nothing will separate us from your hand. Neither height nor depth, nor anything on the earth or under the earth. Nothing, nothing will separate us from your hand. So Lord, we would even in this room look around now and pray, if there's anyone who's separated from you, would you bring salvation today? Would you work by your spirit? And Lord, this morning... As much as we celebrate and are thankful for who you are and for what you have done for us, we also feel compelled to look up and look outward and lament. Lord, we're reminded anew that we live in a world that has fallen. We live in a world where evil is perpetuated. We live in a world where evil things carry forward. So perhaps our attention is drawn to this reality today because of renewed hostilities in the Middle East. But if we pause for a moment, we also realize there are wars and suffering and hurting and evil happening all over the world. We could think of hostilities in Eastern Europe, we could think of hostilities between tribes and countrysides in rural Africa that we don't even know their names, and yet we're reminded there are wars, and there are rumors of wars, and there are hostilities, and there are tensions, and they're all around. You tell us in your word, O God, that these things shout, we need Jesus, So this morning, we look up and we look out, 
And we pray for those who are suffering greatly, those who are hurting, those who have lost everything. And we pray, oh great God, would you be present? And would you work? And would you heal? Lord, we look at hostility and we pray, would you bring peace? We look at conflict and we pray, would justice and righteousness reign? We look at conflict and we pray, would men and women, boys and girls on both sides of all of these conflicts find Jesus and be delivered? Lord, we pray for a movement of your kingdom, a movement of your gospel, a movement of glorifying your son in all the earth. And Lord, your scripture commands us to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. So Lord, would you cause your people Pray to care, to follow you, and to honor your son, and to honor your word in all things. Would you help us to look to you in faith, even as we might not know what to pray? Please, oh God, work. Please, oh God, bring your kingdom. Please, oh God, cause cause us all to bend to the will and the ways of Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. Friends, it's great to see you all this morning. Um, Please take a Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 23. Um where Katie just read for us. Um, Here at Redeemer, we are working our way through the book of Matthew. And we're in chapter 23, um, which is a, a chapter of Jesus speaking seven woes, seven statements of condemnation against the scribes, and the Pharisees. And so what that means for you is seven very happy, positive, uplifting, and encouraging Sundays here at Redeemer. So we're glad you're with us. I think we do believe it's of great value um, to look at these woe statements and learn from them. And learn from them. Like, Like if our only takeaway from these woe statements is, oh, tisk tisk, you scribes and Pharisees. We, we're not reading it rightly. Because what the Lord's upset about when he rebukes the scribes and the Pharisees would also be things he would be upset to see in his people in any place and any time. And so that's how we're studying these woe statements. And um, before we dive into this one, I, just want to admit that 
finding some connection for us today in this passage is a bit of a challenge because we don't swear oaths that often, I don't think. Um, We may have sung sung songs in the 80s called I Swear, but we didn't really know what we meant. Um, We certainly don't swear oaths by altars and temples and things on the altar and that kind of thing. But if you'll go with us, I think there's some really important things for us to see here. And I'll give them to you now, and then I'll try to convince you of them from the Scripture. Um, The key word, I believe, in this passage we're looking at is blind guides. And I'll explain that in a minute. But ultimately, what Jesus is condemning the scribes and the Pharisees for in this passage is creating rules that were really good law, but completely missed the point of worshiping God. Let me say that one more time. What Jesus is ultimately condemning the scribes and the Pharisees of is making rules that were really good law. Like the lawyers would be like, well done, eyes dotted, T's crossed, fine print, well done, footnotes, good job, I don't see any outs, this is good law. And yet what you're doing with your good law is you're leading people to miss the point of how to approach and worship and honor and glorify the Lord. So that's what we want to look at this morning. So I've entitled this this sermon, More Than Money, because what Jesus is condemning them of is writing these practices, these laws, that really focus on money and debt and settling disputes financially. And what Jesus is ultimately saying is, you've missed the point, and you've missed the point completely. So let, let's, let's dive into that. So first point, if you want to take notes, wrong focus, wrong focus. So what's at play in this passage is the practice of taking oaths and settling the oath if someone fails to keep it. What, what, what's being addressed in this passage is the practice of taking oaths and how to settle the oath if someone fails to keep it. So I feel like we should define some terms. So oath-taking in that time was the practice of promising something, promising to do something and Promising to give something if one fails to keep the promise. Oath-taking was the practice of promising something and promising to give something if one fails to keep the promise. So we could say an oath was like a pinky promise with consequences, okay? Pinky Pinky promise with consequences, And really what's taking place in this passage is is a discussion about the something, about what would be 
given if one failed to keep the promise. And basically, like a good lawyer, what the scribes and the Pharisees said was, well, if there's not a tangible payment, then we can't enforce the oath. So if there's not a tangible payment, we can't enforce the oath. So it plays out like this. Like, you can't promise the temple as collateral for your failed keeping of your word because how do you give the temple away? But if you were foolish, you could promise all the gold of the temple because they could count it and they could tell you how much it was and you could be expected to pay it. Or you couldn't promise the altar. It's not your altar. But you could promise all the gifts that are on the altar because they could be calculated and tabulated and they could be given. So Jesus ultimately says, your laws, while they make sense, are missing the point. They're missing the point. I don't think in this passage Jesus is lobbying the scribes and the Pharisees to have better laws or even different laws. He's showing them that their practice missed the point of all oath-taking and how we relate to God. So notice what Jesus does here. He says, what's greater, the gold or the temple that's made the gold sacred? Implied, the temple. Verse 19, what's greater, the gift on the altar or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Implied, the altar. Verse 20, So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Ultimately, Jesus says, your whole oath-taking regime misses the point because everything is the Lord's. Everything belongs to the Lord. And ultimately, when you take an oath, you're promising that which is only the Lord's. You're promising to give away things that aren't even yours to give away to begin with. Don't you understand? This is God's world. Everything in the world belongs to him. So to swear by anything is to bring God into the middle of it. To make an oath based on anything is to bring God into the middle of it. And this is really going to launch us forward into the question of what do we do with this passage? But... Again, notice what Jesus is doing. Go back to the very beginning. Woe to you blind guides who say. Verse 17, you blind fools. Verse 19, you blind men. 
What Jesus has done here is he's broken from his pattern in these woes. Like normally this is what they get. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. But he's broken the pattern from hypocrite to what? Blind guide. Blind. Blind fools. So I think that's our interpretive key. What Jesus is accusing them of is misleading God's people. He's accusing them of pointing God's people toward all the wrong things. I mean, this really is a law of failure, isn't it? Like, like let's debate how to settle the score when we fail to keep our word. When Jesus would say, don't want to bury the lead here, Jesus would say, keep your word. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. But we're missing the point by hyper-focusing on how to settle our disputes when we fail to keep our word to one another. So let's just make one aside and then we'll move into this second point. I think the laws constructed by the scribes and the Pharisees about the taking of oaths um, were probably very logical, probably very um, buttoned up and accurate and enforceable and clear and tangible and miss the point all at the same time. So I think it would just serve us to take a step over here and note that just because something's logical and buttoned up and put together doesn't make it accurate. Rather, we must recalibrate all of our practices and all of our logic and all of our thoughts to the intent and the spirit of Scripture. To the intent of God and the spirit of what the Lord would want from his people. I'm pro-logic. I have a degree in mathematics. I love logic. And Almost every heresy that has almost wrecked the church throughout the last 2,000 years has been very logical. So just because it looks like A plus B plus C equals D, it could be that A or B or C has been misrepresented. And so we have to go back and talk about those things. Okay, I'm in danger of missing the point, so let's come back. So if Jesus is, con like, like, I got seven things to say about you. Does this one feel that high up the list? It doesn't, except for this. That to make an oath based on the place where God promises to dwell, to make an oath based on the place where God's people come to make their offerings to God is dangerously close to some blasphemy as if we ourselves are God and as if we ourselves 
can make oaths based upon our inherent truthfulness as if we were God. So you might say, okay, Jesus, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? So that pushes us to second point. A better way. A better way. Earlier in Matthew, Jesus spoke of oaths. This is Matthew chapter 5. If, uh, let, let's, let's turn. Let's turn. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is speaking of the ways of his kingdom. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. And when we interpret the Sermon on the Mount, we interpret that as what the ethic of the kingdom of God is intended to look like. So rather than us quibbling about how we should take oaths, let's ask ourselves this question. What would Jesus want it to look like in his kingdom? Because if we profess to belong to Christ, then we are saying we belong to his kingdom. And this is what he said. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Now, we see buried in what Jesus says in Matthew 5, two things. Some thoughts very similar with Matthew 23. The sense of to take an oath is to take upon a property of God and his power that you actually can't render. You can't render. You can shave your head, but you can't Make your hair go away. Only the Lord can do that. And he does that well. Don't take an oath by heaven. It belongs to the Lord. Don't take an oath by earth. The earth is his footstool. Don't take an oath by Jerusalem. That belongs to the Messiah. Don't take an oath by your head. For you can't make your head do what you think you can make it do. So Jesus is ultimately saying, don't be a people taking the name of the Lord in vain by claiming that you can fulfill all your promises. And second, he says, in my kingdom, be a people not needing oaths. Be a people not needing oaths. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. What Jesus is saying is, is our, our sense of like, I need to lean in and promise. I need to lean in and say, I swear. I need to lean in and make a contract, all of that comes from this sense that 
that we're not sure if we're really going to do it or not. Um, when we preached through Matthew 5, you know, like a year ago, um, I started to take note of how verse 37 looked for me. Like how often I could just say yes or no and not add to it. I'm not good at it. And I promise if you want to have a little fun this week, you won't be either. We are very prone to, to put an appeal, like, like, yeah, I'll do that, and then put an appeal there, like, like to soften the blow or try to make it feel more earnest or whatever. But I think what Jesus is saying is, in Matthew 5, is I'm building my kingdom, and my kingdom's going to be made up of my people who've been renewed by my spirit, and my people are going to be truth-tellers. And because my people are truth-tellers, they say what they say, and they do what they say because they are people of truth. Now, that's a vision. The better way is a people of Jesus, a people of the kingdom, a people of yes or no, a people of I will or I will not, a people of I can or I cannot, a people who follow through on what they say such that promises and oaths are not necessary. That's the vision. That's the vision. So people of Jesus... While we are imperfect followers of Jesus, if that's the vision, then let's make that the vision. Which what I mean by that is let's work toward the vision. So how do we work toward the vision? So now I'm stepping away from speaking with the authority of the Holy Spirit, and I, and I just want to give some ways that we can work toward the vision. Number one, Jesus gives us the first practicality. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Like, let that be enough. Number two, let's become quick to repent when we fail to operate as a people of truth, not needing oaths. Number three, let's become aware of the words we say when we make commitments. Because I do wonder if we're heaping things up that maybe we shouldn't. And number four, let's believe the gospel. And what I mean by that is we're not perfect. But Christ died for our lies. Christ died for our accidental deceptions. Christ died for the times that we accidentally fail to keep our word. 
And let's believe that the gospel is good for us in our sanctification, just like it was good for us in coming to faith to begin with. Fifth, we still live in a fallen world. So to have a mortgage or to have an employment contract or to have an attorney who looks things over for you, it's not sinful. It's not in violation of what Jesus is talking about here. But as we relate to one another and as we relate to others as the people of Jesus, let's remember this, that the vision of the kingdom is a vision of people who live out the truth. And here in Southern Bible Belt culture, when I say live out the truth, I think what most of us probably hear is believe the Bible, speak the Bible, do biblical things. Yes, but also keep our word and let our yes be yes and our no be no and don't say things that are untrue because we're people who believe the Bible and keep Um, I can't help but think that some of you are sitting there and you're like, man, what's this dude's deal with oaths? I have to be completely honest. I, I didn't start this week with one, but I might have one now. No, but clearly this matters to Jesus. Clearly this is a big deal. And so... Let's not be promising God's possessions when we can't deliver them. Let's not speak a yes or a no when we don't intend to follow through with a yes or a no. And let's be the truth tellers, the truth doers, the truth livers that Christ has made us to be. I am weary and heavy of hearing people say, I can't have anything to do with the faith because of the lies and the hypocrisy of the people of Jesus. You know what? There is some truth in that statement. We're not the biggest church in town. There's not people logging in online from thousands of miles away to be influenced by Little Redeemer Church on Bonita Parkway. Goodness, most weeks I wonder why y'all even come here to listen to me preach. But what if we just said, we're tired of it? Because that dishonors the Lord and His truth and his word just as much as saying, I swear by the temple. What if we resolve to be a people of truth? Truth all the way down in all the things. Our yes is a yes and our no is a no. And 
what if we resolve to lovingly help one another do that? And what if our community is just different because we want to be the people of truth? I believe the Lord would delight in that. If you're here today and you're one of those folks that says, I can't respond favorably to Jesus because I've seen too much. I don't want to debate what you've seen, but I simply want to say this. Please look toward Jesus again. Because he's good. He's merciful, and he's right, and he's compassionate, and he's kind, and he redeems and cares for and nurtures and builds up and loves and moves and and, and takes lying people who can't follow through on anything and turns them into people of truth. Look to Jesus again, please. Please look to him. And we would love to help you look to him. So our Father and our God, we pray now you would take this word from Matthew. And we pray you would help us to hear what Jesus has said and to be shaped by what he has said. Please move amongst us, O God, we pray in the name of Jesus.